so stupid he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! I would normally have something witty here, but for my intro, rest in peace to the greatest position ever. And that is Prince. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. And welcome to episode 37 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighbor, Harrison. And with me as ever, from America, we have Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Hi, guys. Uh, good to be here. <laughs> he hasn't got a witty joke this time around. God damn it. This is such a sad <laughs> opening. Um, <it's, laughs> sorry, we apologize. Normal service will be resumed in about five minutes. But um, on the other end of the scale... Uh, I have a friend of the show, of course, Mr. Adam Johnson. Hello, sir. Good evening. And for the purposes of this week and paying tribute, I'm not even going to try and dispute that Freddie Mercury was better because opinions are everyone has them in music and <laughs> Prince was a superstar. I've been rocking out to Let's Go Crazy for most of the last few days and it's not for the right reasons when you have to drag music out like mm. that. But <laughs> And it, let's look, look, man, Prince is like, I think it's fair to say at this point, Prince was a god damn legend in, mm. in in every in every respect a proper genius such a, a unique incredible talent and uh, he'll be very sorely missed and you know i want to mention as well from a com- comedic standpoint we lost victoria wood last week as well and that absolutely killed me because she was another genius and a female comedian that paved the way for so many people um you know all, all the female comics like the miranda hearts of the world now are like all of that was through people like Victoria Wood, who was just so funny. So rest in peace to the pair of them. It's not been a good week. It's not been a good year for celebrity. It's thrown China as well. China as well for the, in the pro wrestling world, we lost David, we lost David Bowie in January and that was awful enough as it is. And it's just 2016. Seriously, we get the point. Can you just stop now? Yeah, yeah, like, 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 God must have been really bored of the music in heaven. Clearly, um, but uh, I digress. Let's let's talk some motorsports. What we're here for, ultimately, at the end of the day. So let's let's talk sports and uh, not the busiest weekend in motorsport when it comes to actual news, but there was enough meat on the bone for us to have some decent conversations. We'll be talking about IndyCar's Grand Prix of uh, of Barber over in Alabama. As Simon Pagano is a man that is driving absolutely possessed at the moment. His uh, his his second consecutive win, his sixth career win, his first at Barber Motorsports Park, and it was a very dramatic finish against. The return of the animal, Graham Rahal, who we all saw him last year have this incredible performance um, to finish in second place and very nearly won um, in, in Barber. But he was he was in the headlines, all right, but not necessarily for all the right reasons. We'll talk about that in a minute. We'll talk about the Connor Daly, who got more airtime for Dale Coyne this race than I think anything he could have done throughout the rest of the season. But again, maybe not entirely for the right reasons. We'll talk about that as well. Um, we'll talk some MotoGP. We'll talk about Valentino Rossi. You may have heard he won this weekend. I don't know if you. I don't know if you may have missed that news somewhere along the line. But uh, you may have Rossi heard t- he's quite good. Yeah, like who do? Um, yeah, he took a dominant victory in Haraf, and we'll talk about that. The contrasting talk with Jorge Lorenzo, and how quickly that, did that Ducati story get wrapped under the carpet on that one? Huh. Um, as he complains about the tires. Um, we'll be talking and debating about the standardized electronics and the new rules that have changed the sport 
or have they? And we'll be talking about Brad Binder taking his first Moto3 win in one of the most incredible performances you will ever see on two wheels. A absolutely stunning victory from Brad Binder, his first in Moto3, and uh, in general, another brilliant Moto3 race. Um, we'll be talking about a little bit about Formula E. Lucas Degrassi goes goes back to back in Paris with a very, very, very straightforward win for him there as uh, John Eric Verne got a home podium for the Paris fans, but from an actual logistical standpoint, the, the race was kind of a disaster. We'll tell you why about that later on. Um, and we'll be talking about a bunch of Formula One news as well as always. We'll be talking about Bernie Eccleston and uh, totally not controversial comments about women in motorsport and why we believe he has, he's actually made some valid points that people have missed. In amongst Shocker. the nonsense, but yeah. Well, That's normally depending. what a Bernie Eccleston statement is. It's about 75% mm. arse and then 25% <laughs> actually... He might have something there. <laughs> yeah, shocker. The motorsport community focuses on the arse. Um, who knew? But um, we'll be talking about the possibility of F1 having esports potential. I think that's I think that's a very intriguing debate about racing and whatnot. And hey, we're all racing game players at the end of the day, and I think it's something that's worth talking about. We'll be talking about VJ Malia and how he's been a boy and his businesses seem to be crumbling around him. And his story of his collapse seems to have been picked up a lot on by mainstream media, which is definitely going to be worth talking about as well. And Total Wolf has been playing politics again, guys. Who knew? Uh, we're talking about the 2017 rule changes, the the nature of how vague it all is, and it's why it seems that Total Wolf seems to be playing the politics card by coming out and saying in China, hey, we don't need these rules at all after all. Who knew? <laughs> so we'll be talking about all of that. And something, a, a, a fan sentence, which I think is very, very intriguing indeed. So all that and inevitably much more on this upcoming episode of Motorsport 101, episode 37. And we will start with the IndyCar Grand Prix at, at Barber, Alabama. And uh, King, Simon Pagano cannot be stopped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they just... He is invincible. We talked about Nico Rosberg, what, being 38 points clear last week. Mm. After this past weekend, um, Simon Pagano is 48 points clear. And what, it's, uh, what, 50 points for a win in IndyCar? Yeah, 50 plus the bonuses, yeah. So I think if you 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 need the lap, you get a point. I think if you, I don't know what the bonus points exactly are, but I know you get a point if you the race at one point but yeah it's 50 for a win in indycar if it goes 50 40 35 i want to say something like that um but yeah like pagano is now 48 points clear he's almost got an entire race in hand now on the indycar field it's like i'm, I'm getting a monty-esque vibe from last season about this where montoya ran away with it at the start um and it just you know seem it, it just seems that you know, the, the whole season was effectively who can give chase to Montoya, and that's what it came down to towards the end. But Pagano, he has been stunning this season. Absolutely sensational performances. He's, again, two seconds and now two firsts in the first four rounds of the season. That is more or less perfect. And, you know, we often give guys like Scott Dixon the praise for, for having this nature of perfection, Johnson. But uh, Pagano is just absolutely out of his mind right now. It was it was sensational, wasn't it? I mean, this we've heard about the uh, the rocket that he got from Roger Penske pre-season about how you know he had to buck up his game, uh, otherwise he'd have no hesitation in finding uh, in 
allowing him to seek other employment, shall we say. Mm. Man, Roger Penske Rocket appears to be the strongest one in all of motorsport. It really has turned them around, and it's really... What's most surprising here is that, you know, he is up against a really strong calibre of teammate. You know, he's up against Juan Pablo Montoya, 2014 champ Will Power, Helio Castroneves, you know, three of the most successful men in American open wheel racing history. And he has started just so relentlessly. It's almost, it is very similar to Nico Rosberg in that they've, you know, last few years been overshadowed by much more illustrious teammates. You know, often had chances to win, just not quite taking them, just, you know, not been clinical enough at key points. And Pagano has started this season like an absolute train and it's just been ice cold in his execution. You know, he's he really, and this was really apparent in Barber, he really has kind of found that just ice cold intensity, you know, to what, to what really needs to be done to clinch a race. You know, he, uh, at, at St. Pete, he came very close to, I mean, he went toe to toe with his teammate Montoya on a track that's historically very tough to pass, especially under the current era kits. We'll get to them. Um, and then in Phoenix, solid all round, another second place. Very good. Uh, in Long Beach, he bided his time. He took the lead when he had to mm, controversial blah, but Hey, everyone was biting off more they can chew at the end of pit lane. That's why, as we discussed last week, they didn't penalise Pagano because they'd have had to penalise half the field. He did what he had to do. He went toe-to-toe with Dixon, took the lead, took it away, fended him off, took the win. Really, really cold stuff. And then when he was asked about the penalty in, in victory lane after, he went, I won, so who cares? It's fine. <laughs> Literally, that was his response. So he went, so I'm happy. That's fine. Next, next question, please. And then similar thing at Barber this weekend. He led really, really well from the start. Got a pole as well. So he left in the pole very, very comfortably. Had Graham Rahal bear down on him in the closing stages. Actually got into an instant with Rahal. We'll discuss that. Um, you know, but he got knocked wide by Rahal. Responded perfectly. Straight back up Rahal's gearbox. Putting him under all sorts of pressure. Potentially forcing the mistake that cost Rahal most of his front wing. And then literally was sticking his nose up the inside everywhere. The commentators were going, what, Pagano, chill. This guy has no chill at this point. But it was just, it was like a high, it was like, a shark had just smelt blood. It just pounced straight away, cruised the final segment, took the win. Again, asked about any potential penalty after the race. I won, so who cares? I'm, I'm loving this new age ice cold Pazinode. He's getting the job done. He, he, he is the new... Like, I know they've given Scott Dixon the Iceman label this going down that road a lot uh, this season with the Dixon, you know, Kimi Raikkonen style Iceman nickname. But Pagano has been, again, just sensational all, like, all season long. And again, I think the Barber performance was, I think, the real breakout performance that Pagano, I think, really needed. It was a... He was so far ahead of everybody else before the backmarker shenanigans started to come in into play. He was about four and a half seconds ahead of everybody else. Like, nobody had an answer for him. He was just so fast. Round Barber, again, he was on pole position. and it, 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 He deserved that win. I, 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 I don't care if, if there was a penalization or anything like that with Ray Hall. It would have been, it would have been great for Ray Hall if he had if he'd gone on to win. But... Um, yeah, it turns out I was right on the scoring system, by the way. Thanks for that, King. 50, 40, 35, 32. Um, the top four, that's how they score. So you, you, can, you can roughly work out with Pagano with a 48-point lead. He's almost got a race in hand already, which is just terrifying for the field. Do you, you really want to give Pagano a one-race advantage here? Um, but again, given he's, his form has been so brilliant, and just a like maybe the uh, the blue Penske livery has worked out beautifully for him because he's, he's won both his rounds with that blue livery. He's He's almost claiming it's lucky. His 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 mother was down there. His mother Sylvie, a, a real good luck charm for him, apparently. So, Pagano absolutely on fire now. 
the climax of this race was fantastic. Now, to set it up, Pagano was in trouble in the second half of the Grand Prix because he was caught behind Connor Daly, everybody's favorite, um, everybody's favorite new car rookie. Um, and he had an earlier mistake, which would put him quite far down the field. But um, this is this, the problem he had was that uh, he was desperate to fight on the lead lap and stay on the lead lap with Pagano behind him. Barber is a place where it's really hard to pass people to begin with, let alone by, by, with the dirty air that's been created by these new aero kits, King. And uh, it bunched the field up. And as you could tell, it it, you know, it, 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 it caused Graham Rahal to go insane, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where he basically, oh, where he basically had to lunge for any position where, uh, where basically when everyone came around to the back markers, things got dicey. <laughs> It got dicey daily, you know, the, it, it, it took a long, I think it took the pit stops for Pagano to the last round of stops to Pagano to get out ahead of Connor Daly um, to clear him. But then Ray Hall, like, they, like apparently Daly was holding up Ray Hall for a good few laps. And apparently Ray Hall was being really, really rude about him on the radio afterwards, which caused Daly to go on to a oh, bit of a Oh, did you hear the sass? Twitter. Did you hear the mid-race sass? I, I actually missed it. What did Ray Hall actually say on the radio? Something, something about... He lived at my stepdad's house, or my stepdad put him up for two years. Something oh. along those lines, something about relating to him and, uh, you know, Bobby Rahal and Derek Daly's uh, being tight as friends. And uh, suddenly, uh, basically, in no uncertain terms of, oi, stepdad tells you to sod off, son. That was a, that was a, that was pure Rahal. He's been bringing the sass this year, hasn't he? That's... <laughs> Like, Ray Hall's just gone down in my estimation if he said that. He, he don't make it personal like that. Like, like is Ray Hall not aware of the rules? Like, and this is what we'll get to in, 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 in IndyCar compared to Formula One. Blue flags are only advisory. They are not mandatory like an F1 where if you ignore three of them, you, you will be flagged with a drive-through penalty for ignoring blue flags. Mm. In IndyCar, you have no obligation to make way for another driver because staying on the, on the lead lap is important. We saw it at Phoenix uh, a couple of weeks ago where we saw James Hinchcliffe. He was the guy that was in last place and he... You know, was he became the wall? He backed up almost the entire field because he wanted to stay on the lead lap, and it worked when the caution flag came out. So you know, it was a situation where in IndyCar, blue flags are mandatory. And Simon Pagano said after the race that Corner Daly did nothing wrong. He played it by the rules, and I have no reason to be mad at him. Uh, and you compare that to Graham Rahal, who's, who's, who's you know made it personal <laughs> by you know bringing up family ties and 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 whatnot, and you know saying no, oh, he he should he should do it. And uh, Daly was very sassy on Twitter afterwards, basically saying you know sorry we, we weren't all born as lucky as you <laughs> with Graham Rahal's own username mentioned in there and uh well I think yeah. Daly tweeted afterwards he said guess what couch critics I let Graham Rahal by as soon as he got close enough this is racing and uh Pagano himself said after the race he said he did everything by the rules and I have nothing to be upset about but then again Padge would say that he won the race so who cares of course but um and- yeah there, there was some sass flying around I, I just get the feeling that Rahal is just so I get the feeling he's kind of very desperate to kick on from last year's, you know, real breakout season that he had, but has started the season kind of feeling like he's 
got a ball and chain connected to his ankle. There's always something has, mm. that has been holding him back so far this year. And he, he got into it a little bit with verbal fisticuffs with Max Chilton at Phoenix. Um, you know, out here, I mean, he's driving like an absolute man possessed. The way he scrapped on and desperately tried to cling on with a car with basically no front wing. It was basically Mark Webber, uh, Montreal 2014 all over again. Was it 2014 mm. or 2013 where Webber was driving with no front wing at all? I think it was 2013. It must have been 2013, of course, because Ricardo was driving by 2014. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> ignore that. Ignore that. I'm the producer. I can edit that bit out. It's fine. Um, but, um, no, it was It was an interesting snow. I think, to be honest with you, you know, it, it feels to me like IndyCar has kind of gone uh, the kind of sports car racing route, because obviously in sports car racing, um, the, the maxim is, hey, you know, because there's multi-class racing, the guys that you're coming up to lap are probably having their own battle for their own class lead. So you can't expect them to dive out the way just because you're coming up behind them. It's up to you to responsibly make your way past. And generally that works, you know, and generally if, you know, if lap down cars or slower cars are on their own, they will let you through if they can. But in this case, I mean, especially near the end, it wasn't just Connor Daly. Connor Daly was the most high profile because he was on his own and still keeping Paginot behind him just because Dirty Air yeah um that's basically all i have to say dirty air Ooh. and it just sort of mystically keeps people behind them it's it's a horrendous catch-all thing that just sort of ruins racing isn't it dirty air but um uh-huh. uh, later in the race what really affected the lead battle a lot was a three-way there was a lot of cars all in a sort of bundle yeah it was luca Felipe, and i want to say sebastian borde was in there as well because of uh his earlier issue of um Scott Dixon. I think Jack Hawksworth was involved in that incident as well. In fact, I think Jack Hawksworth was the reason that Graham Rahal lost most of his front wing because they piled yes. up behind Hawksworth. Pagano went for the lead on the inside of Graham Rahal. Both of them are jammed, literally tailgating Hawksworth. Hawksworth then mm-hmm. looks in his mirror and goes, bloody hell, the leaders is behind me. I've got to try and get out of the way. And then just as Rahal <laughs> faints to try and defend from Pagano, clips the rear uh, wheel guard of uh, Hawksworth's car, loses the rest of his front wing because he most of it had already gone by that stage and by that point Ray Hall was literally driving a Formula Ford car just absolutely no downforce at all so lap traffic a big factor and I think that you know Dirty Air played an even bigger factor because you know even in Formula One you know even if you have lap traffic there the tracks are usually wider of course you've got DRS and the speed differentials between the, the top guys and the back markers that you're normally lapping it's seconds per lap but in IndyCar of course they're all a lot closer it's tenths of seconds it's nowhere near as much so you're coming up on lap down cars that don't want to be lapped aren't that slower than you and have a huge amount of dirty air coming out the back of their car, it leads to this impossible scenario. And it made the race interesting, but I can understand why the drivers were frustrated by the end of it. Yeah, like, it's it's a lose-lose for everybody. Drivers don't want to get out. There was a big battle for the minor positions going down, uh, you know, throughout the last stage of the Grand Prix. We saw it at the end, like, it was Michaela Lotion that there sebastian borday jack hawksworth takuma sato etc they were all in the lower end of that battle for the lower points positions while pagano and ray hall was coming through and again i i like i feel bad for connor in that regard he's always going to be the figure of he's, he's going to get it in the neck because he was the directly involved in all this but as as we quite rightly said daily did nothing wrong he was he was more than entitled to defend his position stay try and stay on the lead because if there's a caution he gets to catch up again so well, you know, what i also is- want to cite in this is a point mm. that was made by a friend of the show danny brennan who yes. i think was just 
uh, took time out from enjoying seeing Connor Daly on his television, albeit mm. for the wrong reasons. I think he just spent most of the race pretending Daly was actually leading. Um, yeah, why not? But, uh, <laughs> but he did also, he did pause from that to make a very good point in that he, he, he tweeted that if Dirty Air is affecting trailing cars from up to two seconds behind, wow, that's bad. And I got to agree with you. I mean, guys, what do you think on this? I I think that's pretty bad. If it's got to, I don't think even Formula One has dirty air issues quite that bad. That the last time I saw dirty air affecting racing that badly was when NASCAR tried a high drag package last year at Michigan and Indianapolis, and you literally had cars getting aero loose two to three seconds behind the car in front, like ten car lengths back. I mean, this is ridiculous, surely. Yeah, King. Yeah, it's 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 not good. It's not good at all. And the, like the series is looking at going back. Well, not going back, going to a spec package where they either pick the, the Honda or the Chevy package and use that as the spec package for all cars and basically refine it till there's you know, less dirty air. And one of the key differences to last year to while there's dirty air this year is partially due to Fontana last year where they were worried about cars getting airborne. So if you notice it in the floor of the car, right behind the front tires, there are cutouts now instead of it just being flat, just, just the floor. So the floor generates less downforce. That's interesting. And again, I didn't know that they were thinking about going back to one standardized package. And that's probably the way to go, to be honest. Because like, as I mentioned, dirty air was a huge factor in this race. And it shouldn't be. Like, we often praise IndyCar for having a near-spec field and having a, a very unpredictable field where literally anybody can win any given weekend. We saw it last year with nine different drivers won Grand Prix, including people like Carlos Munoz that had won a Grand Prix last year just by being in the right place at the right time. And that can happen a lot in IndyCar. And it's often it's often been a, a thing we praise the series for, but, like, Dirty Air and Backmarkers had a huge influence in this race, King, and... Do you think they'll change the blue flag rules as a result of this Grand Prix? Because, like, Ray Hall, I'm going to guess, is going to be in that next driver meeting. He's probably going to be absolutely livid because his surname is Ray Hall regarding this. And he's going to be absolutely livid that, you know, or is he going to be livid? Because if it wasn't for the blue flag situation or the lack of it, he probably wouldn't have been a contender for this Grand Prix win. Yeah, it's complicated. I I don't see them changing the blue flag rules i i know i jokingly i jokingly tweeted that yeah, the, that the flag rules were going to change because the same thing happened the pit exit rule affected the race okay it's going to change but i don't see it happening because the next race is on a much wider circuit it's at the it's at the speedway it's going to be the grand prix of indy and then it's the 500 then you get into the street the other street races on the calendar maybe you could see it changing during that part of the season but I don't like Detroit see it or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fair. But uh yeah, shout out to Connor Daly for getting more air put together. And it's it's unfortunate. I'm disappointed that Ray Hall was so salty about the whole thing because you can make the argument that the dirty uh, greatly benefited his race as well as possibly being a hindrance towards it towards the end and still a phenomenal job to bring home that badly damaged car back in second place saving the eight push to passes definitely came in handy there i'd like to think mm. but uh, also other mentions other things i've mentioned joseph newgarden back on the podium in, in third place passing will power towards the end we did obviously we didn't see it on camera 
because there was so much focus on the league battle. But uh, New Garden did a very good job in third place there, continuing his good run of form at Barber. Will Power in fourth. Monty, who had started in 21st place on a cautionless race, finished in fifth in the end. Sensational performance from Juan Pablo Montoya. What we come to expect from Monty these days. And shout out, of course, to our favorite, the mayor of Hinchtown in P6. Second best Honda on the day. Good job from James on that one. A great performance from him. He's gotten better every round since the season has started. And it was great to see Hinch back up there at the front. Uh, you kind of value his presence in one, the else. One thing there. I definitely have to mention this race, mm. the struggles for Andretti continue. Ooh. Oh, man. Like, yeah, that's what I've mentioned as well. Awful this weekend. Like, who was the best Andretti? Was it Alexander Rossi, I think? Yeah, Rossi. Rossi was the best Andretti, I think. Oh God, I don't remember where he finished either. He finished uh, somewhere between tenth and fifteenth. But yeah, it was not good. Yeah, like all all the Andrettis were struggling. We all we all saw silly incident that was before the race even started. Um, his incident, which caused a pre-race caution, which was hilarious in it. Right. Um, Hunter Ray struggled. You know, we didn't see much of Arco Andretti, despite the really good start he made. He fell down the order later on. And yeah, Andretti. Oof. Like, uh, it seems like we're getting a carbon copy of last year. Okay. Okay. Actually, yeah. Rossi was the worst Andretti. <laughs> the Andretti's, the Andretti cars finished as followed Hunter Ray 11th, Marco Andretti 12th. Carlos Munoz, 14th, and Alexander Rossi, 15th. But that is not good for an entire team, a high, like, one of the big teams of the sport to not be able to get a single car in the top 10. Yeah, that was pretty poor. I mean, like, what was interesting about the start, it's, it's not been a good start for the season for Carlos Munoz, has it? Really not been good. Um, no. Those nice. massive shenanigans, the pile driver at uh, St. Petersburg, which wipes out half the field. And I think he still finished sixth in that one, which I still don't understand how he managed to get away with that one. And then in this race, uh, we nearly had a similar scenario because on the initial start, he tried to second guess what was going on in front of him, went too early. I think drove straight into the back of Mikhail Aloshan, who then spun around and took out Hawksworth as well. That's why the first start was flagged off. And then initially, they put Lotion and Hawkswood to the back and left Munoz. And all the commentators were going, what? Hang on a minute. No, 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 no. But luckily, by the time they actually took the start, they put Munoz back there as well. And they were like, well, okay, that's kind of fair at least. But a mm, bit messy so far from Munoz. And we know he's a talented driver here. So <sighs> Andretti, Very- just frustrating so far. Munoz is very fast around the ovals and, you know, he's he's had moments of brilliance. You saw him get that first win at Detroit Race 1 last year and he's had, again, flashes, but he's had a very scrappy season one. Andretti in general, it's like, it's not been great. Like, Hunter Ray's kind of carried them to a degree this season and we all know Hunter Ray's an elite-level driver in the field. He can win anywhere, as Paul Tracy very, very rightly said in Phoenix, but the whole Andretti unit is really struggling this year. No cars in the top 10 and all four Penske's were in the top 10. Not a good look um, at all because that's the team they want to so badly beat and they've they've been they've been kicked from pillar to post so far this season. So, uh yeah, not a good look for the Andretti team going forward. But uh, speaking of dominance, MotoGP, everybody. And 
they had their Grand Prix, the Spanish Grand Prix at Haraf this past weekend. And it was, it's, it's weird calling it the Spanish Grand Prix because they have three races in Spain <laughs> every year. Actually, they have four because they have they have Haraf, Catalunya, Aragon, and Valencia, the season finale. So they have four Grand Prix on Spanish land. It's like a Star Wars year, trilogy. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, the Spanish Grand yeah. Prix 2, Lorenzo Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Return of the Marquez. Uh, <laughs> yeah exactly so they have they have four groups i think i think they'd like catalonia has to keep itself separate so it's the grand prix of catalonia it's the grand prix of aragon and it's the grand prix of valencia because pff, sod it like her is the official spanish grand prix whatever the hell that even means <laughs> but uh yeah it was a dominant performance from valentino rossi he won by about half a dozen seconds in the end and it was a grand slam victory for valentino pole race win fastest lap and led every single lap um in the grand prix itself lorenzo tried a move early on didn't get it he ran a little bit wider and that was effectively the race over nobody had an answer for valentino in her which is so shocking to a degree because lorenzo completely dominated the same grand prix last year in very similar fashion so me personally i mean i missed it out on bike life with my predictions as i wasn't on the show but i would have definitely predicted a lorenzo win um given how stuck you know strong he is at her ref given it's a home grand prix for him it was just down the road but uh king rossi was just gone on this one there's not much to really say it was just rossi was just completely in a different league on the day and nobody else had an answer for him yeah it was just Technically, it was textbook lights of flag victory. Rossi, being Rossi, didn't make a mistake today, was pretty much the fastest guy out there, the fastest guy in a 100-mile radius. No one was going to come for him. No one was going to get him. That was the race. Yep. Rossi was gone. Lorenzo tried to keep up. We'll talk about his struggles in a minute, but second half of the race, he completely fell off the wagon. Marquez gave up trying to pass him. He knew he couldn't find the way, so Marquez down and took the very easy third place in the end ahead of Danny Pedrosa in fourth. And uh, shout-out to Alicia Spagaro, his second straight top five performance on the Suzuki in fifth. Suzuki have really come along this season quite nicely. Um, so they're in great. I mean, he was only about a second and a half behind Pedrosa for a top four spot. So shout-out to Alicia. He's had a really good comeback given his struggles last year compared to the young hotshot Maverick Vinales there who obviously is now very much in the room as Mill for a uh, Yamaha seat. Told you, King. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Maverick uh, in finishing in sixth in the end, uh, which I think is actually his lowest scoring performance of the season, believe it. Uh, oh, up past the crash in Argentina. But uh, yeah, um, just not much to really say about the race itself. I mean, very, very spread out race. Um, Rossi had no, nobody had an answer for Rossi. Um, Lorenzo in a clear second, Marquez in a clear third. The Moto Turex was very much the same. Um, Sam Lowe is getting here uh, his first win of the season in quite dominant fashion over Jonas Volga in second and Alex Rins in third on that one. Um, shout out to Rebecca James on that one. I was going to say, have you heard a distant screaming? Um, during the end of that race from somewhere in the Midlands region of Britain. That's, yes, know. yes, yes. Uh, our favourite our favorite Sam Lowe's fan girl, she texted me at the race to uh, to proclaim. But uh, Having just interviewed him 24 hours earlier on Bike Live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, for God's sake. You, you, you have no idea how insufferable this is because when Sam Lowe's takes the front, uh, like, like Keith Ewan's commentary is absolutely... Um, to be honest with you and like is it worse than when Valentino Rossi leads Uh, 
<laughs> Even oh man, that's that's like choosing between syphilis and gonorrhea. It's like it's, it's painful either way, and like like seriously, it's it it, it, it like the like Keith Ewan absolutely adores Valentino Rossi, and I'm, I'm I'm gonna cut to this now because it's just ridiculous. Because like the media went absolutely nuts over Rossi's win at Harap, and. To a degree, I can see why, because people I said it before on Twitter, this, this go leading into this race. This was Rossi's first win in ten rounds. He's not won a Grand Prix since Silverstone last season, which was badly rain affected. Um, and that race where even then he didn't really get all the headlines because it was Danilo Petrucci who finished in second and shocked everybody. So yeah, it's a situation where like King the, the media absolutely adore Valentino here. And I'm like, I just don't get why on this one. It's like, have we never seen a dominant Valentino? <laughs> it never happens, right? <laughs> I, I like, oh, do, do you even compare this to Sebastian Vettel's first Ferrari win? Like, did people just not believe that he could win? <laughs> yeah, like, I remember, I still remember that. Like, I've watched that Grand Prix four times since it's happened. And one of the things I noticed about the Sky coverage is that Simon Lazenby, who is a questionably good anchor in the first place, in my opinion, he acted like he just couldn't believe Vettel could win a Grand Prix again. <laughs> like, like the U-turn on Vettel could be visible from space because they couldn't wait to whip him when Ricardo had that brilliant 2014 season. Um, it's, it's, it's the same deal here. Like, we're talking about a guy that's only nine off Agostini's all-time wins record. Or something like that. I think there's only a handful behind Stini now who won 15 world championships um, compared to Rossi's nine. And again, it's like, have we all forgotten that Rossi was the championship lead out of the 18 last year? The only times he didn't lead the championship was when Lorenzo won in Bruno and obviously final, the final round where Lorenzo stole it at the death at Valencia. Um, but it's... Basically, he pulled a Montoya Johnson. on last season. Yeah, essentially. Because like I said, Lorenzo won seven rounds last year compared to Rossi's four, right? And Lorenzo was always playing catch-up because his start was so bad. He had the fourth in Qatar. He had the the fifth um, in Argentina and Cota because he had the tonsillitis. No, he had bronchitis, sorry. He had bronchitis. I got the wrong itis there for a second. Um, but he had an awful start and he was always playing catch-up because Rossi was just racking up the podiums. He only, and he only won four rounds last year, Rossi. So... It's proof that consistency does pay off, but at the same time, Johnson, like MCN were pretty much lowering their trousers and getting the lubricant ready. I mean, it, it's, it's it's ridiculous what's been going on. Like, I just can't see. It. Am I am I crazy for thinking this? Like, am, uh, am I lost? To a deg- I mean, to a degree, because I'm surprised you're mm. still amazed at what the cult of Rossi gets mm. excited about. It, I shouldn't be. It, it is religion at this point. We saw this at the end of last year, and I stand by my comments that if. Anyone else other than Valentino Rossi had come out with the sort of guff that he came out with at the end of last year regarding Mark Marquez and the shenanigans there. They'd have been laughed out of town. They'd have been pundits around the world just pointing and laughing in the style of Nelson from The Simpsons. It would have just been disgraceful. However, it's Valentino Rossi. Ergo, Mm -hmm. we must believe everything he says it's, it's very it's it shows just how much of a legend valentino rossi has become that people basically don't question what he says or kind of mm. don't question his status within the sport and just it's very weird i mean i think a uh, great friend of the show um zara daniela said it absolutely perfectly on twitter 
uh, and I want to actually find the tweet here because I want to get this right. Uh, I think you might know what I'm talking about here. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> you know the tweet I'm going to refer to here. I, ho- I hope it's still yeah. there. Um, it should be. But she made a very, very good point. <laughs> yeah, she, she made a very, very good point about um, how, you know, journalists and how people, you know, cover... Valentino Rossi and his successes. Here we go. After races like this, many journalists remember their MotoGP fans. Only writing about it when Rossi wins is not how this works. Which, SAS levels times 100. Graham Rahal, come on, son, step your game up. Um, But it's kind of right, isn't it, Dre? Let's be honest. This is the person, Valentino Rossi is the person that makes the hardest of journalists and broadcasters suddenly become fanboys again. He has achieved that sort of level of marking out uh, among the fan base that he just he does still have that kind of effect. So what is a fairly routine win for him for a man who we know is talented enough to win these races front to back Mm. becomes the greatest sporting event ever. Just 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 a miracle. We have we have witness magic today or hail. Um, The editor of MCN Sport have a notorious reputation being one of those Rossi fan camp admirers. And the editor, Rupert Paul, said this great comment in the magazine as well, where he says, not everyone gets this. The people who booed Casey Stoner in 2007 and 8, for example, or the subspecies of Rossi fan who treats racing like football, as in, if my team doesn't win, it's a rubbish game. By that rationale, there could be a few rubbish games this year. The old boy still staggeringly fast in his 21st year of Grand Prix, but other superb riders are available. Um, which, you know, it's, it's, it's admirable as an intention, but, um, you know, <laughs> when... You're not going to stop the Rossi, piles of yeah. 93 hats being burnt ceremoniously at every round this year in a kind yeah. of sacrificial funeral pyre. Exactly. It's just it's just one of those things. Um, it's, it's, it's just... It's, 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 it's ridiculous. I, I, don't, I don't like the coverage at all. It's just... It's just out... It's just, you know, at... at uh, it's just out there, you know. It's 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 it's, it's just just to say the least. And, uh, uh, just stand it. Uh, but, um, I like the fact your microphone know. cut out mid uh there. <laughs> Probably for the best, actually. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I can't stand it. It's just one of them things where. We're, Do we have like, some positive stuff to talk about for the MotoGP weekend? I heard the Moto Three race was pretty good. Yeah, I can finally cut to this. This is nice. Um, Brad Binder, um, a reliable but solid. He is the person um, that deserves all the hype from that weekend. Exactly. Like he was, like he deserved a lot more acclaim than than what actually what he actually got. I would argue because uh, my word, in Moto Three, I said it before. Moto Three, I argue, is the best motorsport series on the planet. It, like no series out there produces more quality races. And this was another fantastic Grand Prix, but it was more of an exi- exhibition in the case of just, um, yeah, so it's just one of those crazy things where... This is like one of those was, YouTuber career mode start at the back challenge things, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, 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 I would know I've been there. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. It's, it was an absolutely crazy result. And... Wow, he he won from the back of the field. He was he was sent to the back on Sunday morning after it was ter- it was found that his 
is Blake had an illegal engine map, but it actually wasn't illegal. It turns out that KTM had just named the files wrong. Um, there was nothing actually wrong with the engine map itself, which is amazing. Um, so it's one of those things um, that you just didn't really bring it. But King, what a sensational performance from Brad Binder to get his first win. <laughs> Oh my god! I, does this mean I could I could finally put on my KTM fanboy hat now? Can this be a thing? Yes, 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 you can. Yeah, I, I can just I can just fanboy. Oh my god, Brad Bender! He was so much faster than everyone else. I could not possibly believe it when I heard he got moved to the back. I thought it was basically race over. That's why I didn't watch the race live. All oh, right, I see. <laughs> so you're all in on the Brad Bender wagon now. Yes, yes. The, so the you're basically like the Brad- Valentino Rossi fans we just talked about. If Brad Binder's <laughs> at the back, it's a rubbish race. <laughs> race of the yeah, century. Yeah. He won. That's brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's it's KTM or nothing, guys. KTM or nothing. <laughs> All hail Bob Bernschneider. But uh, yes, it, it was an incredible performance. Like, I've never seen any. It reminded me a lot of when Mark won from the back at Valencia 2012 in his final Moto2 race as a way to basically just put the fear of God into the entire field. Like, yeah, this guy's just, just so much better than all Especially in Moto3, which is an incredibly closely matched, almost spec class with fairly low-powered bikes. You don't normally see that sort of disparity between the bikes. This is a series that's famous for huge packs of bikes altogether drafting. Not one guy storming through the field and absolutely just laying the beat down on an entire field of 30-plus riders. He started from the back and won by three seconds. That's utterly unheard of. Is this man human? (laughs) It was an inhuman performance from Brad Binder on that. And I did not have enough relatives to describe it. It's uh, it was an incredible performance. And even the battle for second behind him was equally insane with Nicolo Belega, the 16 year old hotshot out of Rossi's Academy, Jorge Navarro, who was desperately looking for his first win on home soil. And, Francesco Pecco Baniaia, who is on that awful Mahindra package, with, which apparently is five miles an hour down in a straight line compared to KTM and Honda right now, which is incredible when you consider just how fast Baniaia has been this season. They were, they got into a hellacious scrap for second place, and it was Nicolo Belega who pulled off not one, but two double overtakes on the final lap during both hairpins, the one down the back straight and the one at Lorenzo corner on the final corner. He pulled off two double overtakes to take second place, and it was a brilliant weekend for Belega, who obviously had the pole position in the first place, and then he can take another one under the box before getting his first podium finish. Um the kid's going to be a superstar. I mean, the fact he's that big and he's still able to be that quick and he's 16 years of age and in only his fourth ever race, that's astonishing from Nicolo Belega. And Francesco Bagnaia getting on the podium again is great for Mahindra as well, their, their second podium of the year. And Bagnaia, is, is, he, he, he could very well be the one that got away from the VR46 Academy because he has been so good this season. Um, another one to look out for as the season goes on. But if you have not seen the Moto3 race, it was the best thing about this weekend's action. Go out of your way to find it. The whole race is on daily motion. So I'd highly recommend you all check it out if you get a chance. Check it out. It's a, it's a fantastic race. Formula E. Um, well, this was interesting. Um, the Paris E-Prix was this weekend. Lucas Degrassi ran away with it, really. It was not a very good race. Like I've seen, I've seen the highlights. I didn't have to see the whole thing to me. Honestly, I had no desire to see the whole thing after what everyone had told me about it. I saw the highlights. Lucas 
won a very straightforward Grand Prix again. Just, you know, qualified on pole, led from the front, was never under any pressure, just ran away with it, really. He's in a real run of form. He'd have won three in a row if it wasn't for the car being 80 grams illegal in Mexico. Um, the nature of Formula E, I suppose. Um, John Eric Vernon with a strong second place, uh, a nice home person. Sebastian Buemi, who recovered from another bad qualifying session uh, to finish on the podium. But uh, King, from a logistical standpoint, this weekend was a nightmare, wasn't it? Oh, God. Just like the first thing that came to mind was 60 years without a street race in Paris, and you come back and give us this. Like, uh, it just... You have become familiar with the the usual ad boards that you see during a Formula E race. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, yeah, just all over the place. They're about like the size of a small house. You can't see over them, period. So it essentially seemed like they were racing in a moat. It, they basically were, weren't they? And from what I saw of the track layout itself, it appeared to be very, I mean, Paris is definitely one of those kind of old school uh, cities, very much like London. Um, the roads were probably wide enough for a horse and cart in 1906. Now they're just about okay for road cars, but to try and race on, hmm, pr- probably a bit terrific, uh, tricky. And I'll tell you what, a lot of the moves, even in the official Formula E highlights package, they admitted that some of the moves in that were pretty... There was there was there was bent contact. Graham Rahal would have approved. It was from the Graham Rahal trying to pass Simon Pagano school of overtaking, but that was really your only option. Sam Bird got into it with his teammate, um, and it was it was it was aggression city. But from a from a pure racing standpoint, it was okay. It very much reminded me. And you guys are of a similar generation to me, so you remember this. Do you remember in Gran Turismo 4, there was a track... There were No, actually, there was two street circuits, two fictional street circuits set mm. in Paris. Um, yeah. yeah. There was one that was a proper race circuit you could have full races on, and that was pretty twisty in itself. There was another one, I think it was called George V Paris, where you actually yes. went round uh, the Eiffel Tower and went down the back streets, and it was a time trial circuit. Literally, you couldn't have races on it because you couldn't fit more than one or two cars wide around it. It reminded me of that layout. And in terms of pure exhibition and spectacle, yeah, that looks great. But in the same way that Monaco does, and as a race, I mean, the Formula E cars, they were tested to destruction around Paris. But I know what we're talking about here, and Dre's going to get into this in a minute. What we're talking about here is not really relating so much to what actually happened on the track, whereas to it was more what the fans were going through off track. Yeah, and I want to give a big shout out to friend of the show, Katie Fairman, who was down there um, as a member of the media for Net. Um, obviously, a, a big Formula E. Who was that for again? Out there. Uh, sorry, eRacing.net. I want to give a shout out to them. So, yeah, I got this from Katie Fairman, friend of the show, who was down there representing the media, and she had a ovation down there. And she said, and I quote, I don't think I'd want to attend the Formula E race as a fan again diabolical organization that resulted in force being used towards fans and this is a tweet that caught my attention and i i asked her what exactly happened um she said 10 laps until the end of the race they decided to physically push race fans meters back for vips and she would go on to say they didn't seem to care that this little boy was being crushed the area had been dead until the start of the race too it's just not rewarding for fans who have waited hours in the same spot to be pushed away just minutes before. And uh, it's 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 not a good look. 
at all. And there was also mentioned as well was the advertising that blocked the track action. I know another friend of the show, George Mullen, who actually went to the the London race weekend um, over at Battersea Park, and he said the same thing, that the seating was awful because the advertising boards covered a lot of the action and you couldn't see anything. And it just seems like, again, that this race was was a logistical nightmare. And it, 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 like the fans, like, like King, nobody wants to hear about fans getting physically removed from seating areas. That's, that's awful. And it seems like it's another black mark behind the scenes for the series. And I think, and let's be real here as British sports fans, no one wants to hear the word crushed. Or near crushed. That's, that's when, that's, that should be throwing major red flags. Yeah, exactly. Especially given that you know, in in real British sporting terms, the Hillsborough inquest absolutely are going to be out tomorrow as we record this. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not it's not a good sound at all, King. And uh, you know, Formula E has, has had an incredible rise to success and how we've gotten here lately. But like from from a fan standpoint, this just Grand Prix sounded awful. Yeah, I, I, it really seems like holes are starting to appear in. I don't want to, I don't want to call it a facade because that'd just be terrible. But it seems like there's an a there's a a divide between what Formula E wants to appear to the public and what they want to provide to their VIPs. Where it seems like, in terms of image, Formula E wants to be this high society oh like high society edm festival where it's like <laughs> great way of putting it, it. It, it it's like they they want to be the place where the important people are and if that involves kicking a couple people out that that then so be it kicking the riffraff out <laughs> yeah <laughs> Because this this was the Paris Ypres was attended by the Prime Minister of France and the Prince of Monaco. Yeah, just in general, not a good look for a series that's had organizational organizational problems since its inception, really, and uh, they don't seem to be going away. Some refinement, I think, needs to be addressed for future races because uh, Paris was meant to be the real big selling point of this season. I would argue, like there was big deal made about paris there was a big deal made about the layout about about where it was going to be taking place around the art the triumph and etc and I, i'd like to think this was the diamond in the rough for season two was getting a race in paris and the race was poor and on top of that the organization was even worse so yeah formula e sure the racing seems to be great most of the time but uh behind the scenes there's some to be addressed looks of it um, yeah i mean the race took place at around in valdez like if it was around the octa trump at least the racing would have been good yeah it would have helped you know just, the, the racing being good is a nice distraction sport you're in if in formula one doesn't seem to work but everywhere else um but uh speaking of which there's been a bunch of formula one news we've got to get through um, because even on races on weekends where they don't have a race formula one is still in the news of course, we can't help ourselves these days. Um, oh, great. Uh, Bernie Eccleston. We go again. Uh, it's that time of the month again. Uh, Bernie Eccleston had some uh, 
intriguing comments. Well, not really anything new. He just kind of really more doubled down on what he what he said last year, where he feels like a, a female. He said, he said something along to the lines of, he feels like a female Formula One driver right now wouldn't be taken seriously. And I know a lot of people... You know, like I'll be real, it's just, it's the same people that always jump on these kind of things because people pick and choose when to take Bernie Eccleston seriously. But it's the same people that said, "Oh, he's double, he's doubling down. Bernie's a sexist. He needs to retire. He how dare he say things like that." I think to be honest with you, the the thing that most people had the issue with yeah. was that he complained that female drivers would not be strong enough to pilot a Formula One car. Which is absolutely not. He made comments based on that, based on physical ability, which I think a lot of people had a big problem with. I think Pippa Mann had the most eloquent response, which was just her basically saying, "Yeah, Bernie, I'm nowhere near strong enough to pilot a race car." It was several photos of her tanking out in the gym, and man, that was it was like it was like guns like Pip. Seriously, but like, damn, I'm sat here as like a pale white nerdy nerdy guy. Yeah. Mm. There's, <laughs> it was just not happening. So I think yeah. that's what a lot of people had issue with. But yeah, the actual comments about drivers not being ta- female drivers not being taken seriously. Hmm. This is an elephant in the room, isn't it? Because we yeah. want to believe we live in a, a perfect world where a female driver would be taken seriously. But King, I think we we were talking about this on Twitter messages the other day. We had a very good conversation about this. It's it's not about having a female driver in Formula One right now. This has to start from the bottom. Yes, it it has to be and it, it has to be a, there has to be a situation where you can't say no to a female driver because she's just that good. Not that you have to go looking for a female driver because people want a female driver. Yeah, it's like what happened last year with Carmen Jordan was kind of proof poster child was not the right approach because Carmen Jordan was university good reason she was clearly underqualified for even the minor job she was given Lotus and we all saw through what was blatantly a marketing play from Lotus and again the nature of the sport you get your money where you can get it you know hiring Carmen Jordan to do nothing and you you rake in the marketing dosh of course you're gonna do it it's what business it's what smart business people do so and of course it was panned and uh, it's to me I'm like I'm a, I'm gonna say something controversial here but like Let's be real here. There's not a female driver in the top 50 in the world right now, let alone one that would be able to make a Formula 1 grid on rule. Like, the best example I saw of this was when Simona got the Formula E seat. And people have it because Simona is a very, very like... But she's a midfield runner in Formula E, which already gets a bad enough rap for being the FDF1 reject league, as unfair as that may sound. Like, there's a bunch of F1 drivers, in, or former F1 drivers that are in Formula E right now, which, you know, are the best. I mean, Bruno Senna's been panned by many people before. Lucas Degrassi, Jerome D'Ambrosio were guys that were never given a fair chance because they were in terrible teams in the first place. You know, we've had guys like Karun Chanhok in there before, Jacques Villeneuve, etc it's like it's not got the good reputation because it seems to be a league where it's piggybacked on other people and Simone is only a midfield runner in there and she's probably the most prolific female name out there at the moment in at least from a european standpoint i mean i know other people will mention you know the jamie chadwicks and the sophia flauches of the world but the problem is they're in their mid-teens they're still a way off they are developing as we speak i mean flores has been cited time and again as you know good enough but the fact is she isn't yet 
And she would admit that herself. She's, what, yes. 15, 16? She's got a way yeah, to go. she's 15 years old. You, you can't put her in Formula 1 tomorrow. That is going to be a disaster. And she wouldn't want to be in Formula 1 tomorrow. So, and, yeah. yeah. It's, it's worth mentioning as well that Bernie Eccleston is actually a patron for Dare to be Different. Susie Wolf's new female in female in motorsport program and it as and people don't realize it's in bernie's best interest to see if he can find a female talent who's good enough to get in because a we, we saw it with susie wolf she was able to get a whole bunch of unique sponsorships like ups like the royal bank of scotland etc like she was able to get unique sponsors and generate more money for the sport and she was just a reserve driver i if she was actually in the car racing full-time so it's in Bernie's best interest as commercial rights holder to make some money. So, of course, he's, he's going to line himself up with, with Dare to be Different because if he can find a decent female talent that can make it to the top, he'll make more money off it too. So, you know, it like like uh, the, even the, the strength comments that I thought Bernie made, there was a point to it because fundamentally speaking, women are different to men. And they're, they're, uh, see, they're, I, I, no, I don't think no he. Had, I think that just sounded out of date. That was yeah, where he yeah, really yeah. sounded old school. I mean, mm. we yeah, say because, already that F1 cars are not. They're, they're nowhere near as heavy as previous cars. And yet, even right. back in the 1970s, you had people like Janet Guthrie who were able to wheel very heavy stock cars, the the old school open wheel cars at the time at the Indy 500. The strength comments just sounded real. That really made Bernie sound like a bit of an out of touch dinosaur. Yeah. The credibility uh, comments. Fine, we'll take that. But yeah, I, I, I could not buy the strength. I think, to be honest with you, had he not made the physical comments and just talked about credibility of female drivers, I think many people would have gone, we don't want to admit it, but he might have a point there. But I just feel like bringing in the physical comparison between, you know, the physical gender divide again, it just feels like an out-of-date comment, doesn't it, King? Yeah, I mean, just because women aren't as strong as men doesn't mean that they're... Strong, they're not strong enough to drive a Formula One car. Like right, that has been right. proven time and time again that not to be the case. Yeah, so it's one of those urban myths more than anything else. I got, I got pull myself back a little bit there on that one. But uh, overall, again, I don't think I don't think Bernie was out of line in what he's the, the prospect of a female driver being taken seriously because you look at the spectrum of Formula One right now, and I'll be honest, when we first started. The, the, the podcast is a YouTube channel. It was around the time where the Dare to be Different campaign started. And there was a lot of talk about females in motorsport because of Catherine Legg's brilliant Daytona performance as well. And the first tribute we did was about that. And the second one was about Carmen Jordan being made to be a scapegoat because of Richie Stanaway and Marcus Sorensen's comments. So it was, it was a hot topic at the time. And I said it back then, the spectrum is just not there yet. And... I'm not sure if it will ever be, to be honest with you. But the, the thing is, where is not, it really yeah. needs to come through is not necessarily in Formula One. The change doesn't need to start at the top, because if you transplant a woman driver, a female driver, straight into Formula One, and say, "There you go, we're represent- women have chances in Formula One," and then they're just not good enough. Then I think that's why everyone kind of, you know, got. A- angry when Carmen Jordan was hired. It wasn't necessarily that she was a woman getting into Formula One. It was because she was a race driver whose career and previous record did not merit being anywhere near a Formula One paddock, regardless of gender. And Mm -hmm. to be honest with you, as I say, me and King were talking about this. We had a great chat about this. The thing, what really needs to happen is not necessarily for female drivers to have more chances in Formula One, but to get them more integrated and give them chances 
in the lower divisions, coming up through the grassroots ranks. Because ultimately, a team owner is going to hire based on who can, you know, the cash is going to be a factor, what you can bring to a seat. You know, we all know that most racing and most most sport drivers are pay drivers. They have to bring sponsors, whatever. But they will hire people who they believe they can market to sponsors and who will win them races. If that's a if that's a man or if that's a woman or if that's transgender, if that's anywhere in between. Brilliant. That'll that'll work out for them. And and to be honest with you, it feels to me at the moment like a lot of the great talents coming up uh, as females in racing at the moment are coming up in uh, closed wheel racing, in tin top racing at the moment. We've got Jamie Chadwick doing great things. We've got Abby Eaton now getting a a shot out in the British GT Championship now. Uh, You know, Danica Patrick's been doing pretty good stuff in NASCAR for the last few seasons. Say what you want about a record. It's, It's nowhere near as bad as her detractors will say. And she's probably you know, thinking about it, she's probably the highest level operating female driver in world motorsport right now. She's driving for one of the top teams in the NASCAR Spring Cup Championship. Say what you want about a record. She's probably at the very top right now in terms of female drivers around the world. But for me, it just, it feels to me like, I think what people are enjoying most about Sophia Floers' campaign is that not only is she showing an incredible amount of promise so young, She's also doing it exactly the right way. She's going through, she's showing promise in the feeder divisions. You know, she tore the house down in Jeanette Juniors last year, skipped the second half of the season to prepare for the ADAC F4 championship in Germany this year. So far has started out well. It'll be interesting to see how she progresses there. But if she keeps climbing the ladder like this, then it's going to get to a stage where she's in GP3 or, or GP2 or Formula 2, whatever it is by then. And... Formula One are going to have to take her seriously, not necessarily as just a female driver, but just as a great driver in general. And that's when someone is going to be taken, a female driver is going to be taken seriously in Formula One when they've proven they have equal talent to, you know, when talent is the only factor behind them being signed in Formula One. And it's going to be a rocky road. It's going to be a very difficult one because it feels to me like a lot of people are looking for like the band aid, you know, the quick fix, the, the, uh, what's the way of putting it? Um, the sort of... The, the Jackie Robinson. Yes, there you go. The sort of totem <laughs> to sort of hang up and go, look, we're inclusive. Female drivers do have equal opportunities. But that doesn't really help. Carmen Jordan getting a reverse a reserve seat at Lotus, that's not good for female drivers in Formula 1. It, in actual fact, it didn't help. It, it may have hurt. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's a very difficult thing and... I think we're all we all get very pleased when we see female drivers running so well. We were all stoked when Catherine Leg Leg turned tore the house down at Daytona and backed out. She's been solid since then uh, in the Delta Wing. We're all just pleased to see because yes, we want to see female drivers succeed at the Pinnacle of Motorsport. We want to see them succeed, given the equal oppor- given equal opportunities, given great cars. We want to see that happen badly, but you can't. There's no quick fix. There's no quick fix to this try and say that quickly um and i think bernie ultimately is right dumping someone straight into formula one right now then there's gonna be a credibility dearth right there isn't there yeah i'd I'd say so something along those lines but uh yeah that's bernie in a nutshell for you again i think we some some valid points in there but uh 80 build 20 percent hang on he might have a point isn't that, isn't that kind of Bernie Eccleston in a nutshell, though? That's what he is, yeah. The ratio's increased as he's got older. It used to be like 50-50. Now it's around 80-20. Yeah, it's like, Bert, like, Bert, like Bernie's no fool. He knows exactly what, Even if he does say something controversial, a lot, like, you know, a lot of the time it just makes him more relevant. So we all jump on it 
and bite all the time anyway, so sort it. Uh, moving on quickly, and uh, BJ Malia, everybody, and uh, it's not a good sign when Formula One, one of F1's you know big owners like VJ Malia is, uh, gets into Associated Press and mainstream media stories because his passport has just been revoked um, over in India, his home country. He, he's, he lives in London, right? It's uh, King. He's in a lot of financial trouble. The sounds of it. Yeah, I mean. Uh- Apparently, he owes a lot of money to, re- well, regional or local banks in India. Yeah, he something I heard was like 90 million, ru- 90 billion rupees, which is like $1.3 billion he owes the banks over there. And uh, it all started, I think, from 2008, I think it was, when... Um, when uh, his, his Kingfisher Airlines went bust. Um, I think that's when it all started. And he's a guy that likes that likes having the cool assets, which is... I remember, uh, King, have you, have you ever seen the ESPN 30 for 30 called Broke? Yes. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. Like, like they, they don't want the premium bonds, that you know, the safe investments that will make their 10 million worth 11 million. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't want that interest. And they want the sexy stuff. They want the music studios, the milkshake bars, the car washes. Or in BJ Malia's case, a Formula One team, an airline, a beer, and an IPL team. <laughs> so, you know, he, he wanted the cool shit. And, that, and that's kind of a problem because he's now run out of mothers by the sounds of it. And now it seems like he's trying to run away from the law, which doesn't necessarily help the situation either. Um, but this this could be bad news for Force India going forward, couldn't it, King? Yes, I mean... Your owner being in prison is not a good look for anybody, especially because someone has to pay your bills and your bills ain't getting paid when the guy who pays them is in jail. Yeah, that 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 might not be a necessarily a good thing to say about. And uh, we already know that um, we also do say we already know that uh, F1's got a lot of um issues with uh, ownership and money right now. I mean, we've heard the news of Salbo. Manisha Keltenborn came out today at Auto Sport and was talking about she's trying to ride out the storm. Um, she's trying to ride out the storm that they're going through right now because they've paid their staff late over the last couple of months. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of BS in the sport when it comes to money at the moment as you pour salt into that already gaping wound um, as it is. And uh, Force India is a team that's already struggled enough as it is. And Force India are in denial about that. And they've said that, you know, we've just been unlucky so far this year, which isn't a great impression when they've barely scored any points all season long. But, uh, they seem to be the biggest sufferers of this new season so far. But uh Again, I hope it gets resolved. I hope it doesn't affect Force India too badly. I mean, the sport needs all the help it can get right now when it comes to financial backing, and an owner potentially being in prison is the last thing it needs right now. Or oh, that'll just throw in another enormous party and forget the whole thing ever happened. That's probably not going to happen, is it? No. Damn. No. <laughs> Damn. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk about esports for a minute as well, which is something I thought I mentioned on this podcast. Last week... I watched the um, AOR season 10 finale um, over in Brazil. We fantastic league run by, run by Fizzy, one of the true good guys of, of, of the F1 space. So if you haven't followed him already at FizzyFan91, I highly recommend you do so. Um, 
in all the fact he supports Liverpool, it's one of them, you can't help it. But um, the, the season finale was watched by 750 people, which is insane given when you're playing a two-year-old game because the league was based on F1 2013. And... Um, uh, congrats to TRL Martin for winning the, the league championship, just just narrowly beating TRL Limitless to the, to the title. Um, so congrats to Martin, good friend of the show. Um, like a lot of the baits broke out then afterwards on about the potential of esports and you know could F1 see an esports league one day? And I'm sitting here thinking, why the hell couldn't it? Quite frankly, if it was promoted in the right way. I mean, King of Thrones. I've noticed the last couple of years, it's that like more and more racing games going down the road of you know like forza has done lately with um their race off series they've done with you know inviting their own drivers down to race sports events and uh things like that i mean johnson you think you've seen it, haven't you um the race off series they've done lately yeah 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 i mean um it's it's interesting video games are tying up close and closer with uh, the real life series we saw this with the gt academy famously with gran turismo that's that was really for me a tipping point where video game and sim racing really became you know credible because it finally proved to people you know oh these guys are just video gamers you know we all remember i remember about a decade ago there was a an episode of that tv show faking it where a guy who was really good at gran turismo 4 or something or other um was taken to rockingham and had 24 hours to be turned somehow into a real racing driver and he was rubbish in the end and i think that was a kind of a prevailing feeling of everyone at the time they went yeah but they're video games they're not like real life then the GT Academy came along and they kind of went, hang on a minute, there's something in this. And now, I mean, esports are taking off around the world. It's it's becoming a, a major um, a major industry. I know the Call of Duty games are now very popular in the esports world. Trackmania is one of the most popular racing games for esports. You know, Counter Strike. Um, it's it's all happening. You know, in the over in the RPG, uh, not the RPG world, uh, the kind of MMO world. You know, you know. Uh, even I mean this is not a world I'm particularly in but I've seen videos from Total Biscuit where he's casting uh, and commentating on games like Hearthstone you know tournaments for for games like that Um, this is a major world and it feels to me I mean I know I know NASCAR has an official I believe an an official iRacing series uh, the Peak Antifreeze Cup Series uh, over on iRacing and uh, IndyCar I think have done something similar this year um, yeah, they, 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 I'm not sure. They, they they had their own um i racing league in the off season last year, featuring many of their own drivers, part like Will Power and Simon Pagina. Yeah, I remember you that. Know, That's what know, I was talking about. But yeah, for me, uh, you know, to be honest with you, it feels to me like you just need a solid platform of a game, a game that you know works on levels. It has a good kind of net code, so you, you know. I mean, you couldn't do it off of F1 2015. There's, there's just a netcode that's just so faulty that you'd you'd have championship deciding races decided by absolutely, you know, netcode screwing people over. Um, it, I, I used to run a little amateur, or I used to drive in a kind of for fun league on NASCAR 15. And even that was a joke half the time because you'd get to within half a car length of the guy in front of you and he'd just spin out. You know, the, the, the contact physics in the netcode there were just so broken. So if you've got a solid core game uh, with good physics, you know, uh, good netcode, uh, you can build up a competitive scene around it. I mean, hell, I remember leagues springing up. Uh, there's still leagues in action now for NASCAR Racing 2003 season, which is a 13-year-old game. Serious leagues yeah. going on for that one. And there were leagues still going. I think there might still be them now in certain corners of the internet for NASCAR Heat 
which is a free open source game based on a game that originally came out in, I think, 1999. It's ridiculous, you know, but the the, the sim racing world and the online racing world, esports, it's it's happening, whether people like it or not. What were the issues that people had with F1 2013 becoming like a sort of esport thing? It was more the sim racing community who the Nebula League who play on iRacing and R-Factor. Sorry, R-Factor, uh, I should say, more than anything else. They were clutching their pearls about the quality of the game not being good enough. And I'm sitting there thinking, Call of Duty is one of the biggest esports games on the planet. You like, think Trackmania is, is a simulator? <laughs> yeah, like, holy crap. Like what, like, what are you people talking about here? Like, the quality of the game isn't good enough. That doesn't it's, mean anything. To be honest with you, though, I feel like... Um, you know, I don't think R-Factor has quite this much. To me, it sounds to me a little bit like the iRacing Master Race have struck. Uh, I can't tell you. I'm a fairly low-level gaming YouTuber. I don't know if you ever got this, Dre, in your time as a gaming YouTuber. How many times were you demanded to get iRacing now? Because oh, iRacing is our lord and saviour. Basically, iRacing is the Valentino Rossi of gaming, and if you do not have it, then you are not a valid sim racer and things it like was, that. It wasn't It wasn't so much a matter of iRacing. It was a, matter, it was a situation where... A lot of the time, people were telling me to up the difficulty uh, more than, you know, get iRacing. But it was more a matter of, oh, just why aren't you playing at the highest difficulty? Why aren't you playing on Legend, etc.? So there is a level of elitism to it um, regarding... It's one-upmanship. It's that whole sort of, yeah, well, no, no, I beat the whole game on Legend, blah, won every race. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, so one of them situations where you know just a level of elitism but i i think with the right marketing platform i don't think there's any reason um you know i think there's any real reason to uh say that uh esports can't be a thing in f1 uh, i mean 750 viewers for the final round that is good that's a very good figure that's comparable to a lot of online um mm -hmm. figures for you know if you want to say real world racing yeah that's, that's, that's utterly insane quite frankly and uh, King, you got you, two, you got you got two cents on this one, real? <laughs> oh, I would say the biggest barrier to F one, like the F one games becoming an esport, is just the popularity, or in this scenario, the lack thereof of popularity for for the F one games. People don't really play them compared to the amount of people who watch Formula One, the amount of people who play Formula One. They're vastly different. Exactly. And again, let's just jump to 750 viewers. A series that only really is popular in F1 circles on you. Real marketing presence from the, from the games themselves. Like if Cody's got behind it, you could easily do something with that to get some extra viewers in for sure. They have avenues and outlets for it, but it just doesn't bother us. I think the potential is most definitely there for me. Quite. But uh, yeah, that is just about it for motorsport 101 this time there is one there's one more thing i want to mention real quick and uh i'm gonna give a big shout out on twitter to a friend of the show as uh, i dodge i dodge uh, all the tweets um regarding running herself and just getting knocked out of the snooker world championship no yes no i mean no what what, what? <laughs> wait was he playing barry hawkins hawkins beat him 13 12 yes uh, the pride of dartford <laughs> Eat it, Ronnie. Uh, Sorry, carry on. Yeah, I was saying. Shout out to Crazy McButton on Twitter. That's Evan. That's Evan Byrne for us. You created a card against fumes. 
Galaxy deck based on the podcast. <laughs> and um, some of our fans and some of our shows have put, these, some, put some of these cards together. I will put a link to this deck in the SoundCloud description of this episode. Some of these are crazy. Like Some of the black cards are just hilarious. Like, Manor have brought in Blank as a sponsor. Lewis Hamilton paid tribute to the late and great prince, but decided to Blank was a bit unorthodox, Ted. And some of the response cards are hilarious. I'll read, I'll read out a plethora right now. Some of these I literally cannot read out on the air for good reason. You'll see what I mean once you click the link. Uh... How about uh, Johnson did 9-11? That's, 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 that's one I quite like. Uh, Pretty excessive, um, I have to say, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Dre supports United because he got on the bandwagon. As- <laughs> Ouch, yeah, that is... Uh, calling your Manchester United fan fanboyism into, into question, that is strong. <laughs> yeah, no question. Uh, Bruno, the lesser setter. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Hamilton's music being used against ISIS as a bioweapon. Um... <laughs> A David Croft and Lewis Hamilton fan fiction. Oh, (laughs) there's some pretty funny ones based around my name and (laughs) the fact it's shared by, yeah, you know who. King assassinating Rosberg's wife so they can be together. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a line straight out of a fan fiction. Yeah. Oh god. Yep. Exactly. Admittedly, I am disappointed by the lack of oh dear references, mm. and I'm also disappointed by the lack of Schifrin. Yes, there needs to be more mechanical Schifrin deck, clearly. Be, uh, there's a few wrestling ones there, like Being the Rock's. Being the Rock's uh, actual cousin. <laughs> yeah, there's some good ones in there. There's some very good ones in there. I'll, I'll save you. I'll save it. I'll save the rest of you guys to get it together. Get a hold of but, King's uh, roommate is just stormed me- out in disgust. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, the, the, it's it's pretty hilarious, quite frank. Um, so that is like I'll leave. I'll leave you guys to enjoy. Uh, big thanks to Evan Byrne again for sending in the deck to the show. We really appreciate that. There, it, it was at, we, we didn't even read out all of them before the show. We we had a proper look at all of them before we started recording, and some of them are absolutely savage, um, which is kind of the point of cards in humanity, really more than. Else, so big thanks to Evan for that one. Really appreciate you. Big thanks to Alex Murray for becoming the new Patreon backer as well. Shout out to you, good sir. Thanks for listening. A very good friend of mine as well. Big Moto GP fan. So thanks for that, Alex. Much appreciated. As usual, you can catch us all on soundcloud.com forward slash motorsport 101. We're also tunes Stitcher and TuneIn. We're all on Twitter. You can follow me at Harrison101HD, Adam at AJ underscore Bomber Sports, and Ryan King at Ryan Eric King. That's with a K, by the way. And uh, of course, you can check us out on YouTube as well for highlights and exclusive content at youtube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. So until next time, I've been Andre Harrison. He's been Adam Johnson and Ryan King. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Wait, do that again. Sorry, it cut in the middle. Yeah, your internet Ah! cut. (laughs) I'm keeping that as an outtake. (laughs) Draco Super Saiyan. HM Prison Durham winning their local premiership. Now they have a world-class defender like Adam Johnson. Yes, I get it. (laughs) Well done. I thought I'd heard all the Adam Johnson jokes by now.